So if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 today, verses 14 through 16. So if you would like to go ahead and turn there, you can do it. We are continuing our series, Unshakable Mission. And so the church has a mission that God has given every one of his people. And so we're looking in this text today to see exactly what the mission is, what a part of the mission is that God has given to the church. And of course, when I'm speaking to the church, I'm, it's really relating to you and to me. It's re- relating to individuals. Uh, let, me, let me try to uh, kind of give you an example of where we are going today. There's a story about a lady. She's a rancher out west. Her name is Lexi Lowler, and she has a sheep ranch. And she said uh, during, uh, during a particular season, she was losing a lot of her sheep to coyotes. And so it didn't, didn't matter what she did, they, they just kept coming in. They were stealing her sheep, killing her sheep. And so she tried a lot of different methods to try to protect her sheep. Uh, she put an alarm out to try to scare off the coyotes. didn't work. They still came in. They were t- uh, stealing her sheep. Uh, she even got to a point where she was going out and sleeping with her flock to try to, to ward off the coyotes, but it didn't matter. Uh, in one year, she said she lost 50 sheep to the coyotes. And so she came up with a rather unique solution. Uh, what she did is she went out and she bought quite a number of llamas. Now, I, I don't, you know, you look at that and you think, what in the world, would, uh, why would a llama help? Well, here's what she said. Uh, she said, llamas don't appear to be afraid of anything. And when they sense danger, here's what they do. They hold their head up high and they walk straight toward the danger. So for the coyote, that is considered to be aggressive behavior, and they don't want anything to do with that. So coyotes are opportunists, and llamas take that opportunity away. Now, I like that story. And I like the story because I thought that there was a parallel between what was going on with her and what's going on in our world today. Because here's, here's what I see. In, in the Bible, God calls his followers, he calls them his sheep. And every year there are sheep that are being stolen away from God's flock. I mean, the evil one is coming in and he's enticing those who say they're followers of God away from the things of God. Because I really think this. I think that there's so many people who have a desire to be pleasing to the world more than being pleasing to God. And this is where the church has a huge responsibility. Our responsibility as a church, is to protect the sheep. Our responsibility, if we're going to do that, is to stand firm in our faith so that we can walk faithfully according to what God's Word says. Because, guys, we are living in a world where there is evil. And the evil one is trying to mess up and destroy the people of God. Now you say, now where do you get that from? Well, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Here's what Peter wrote. He said, be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, and it says, and be firm in the faith. We need more and more men and women of God who are going to stand firm in the faith so that we can ward off the attacks of the evil one. And that's why we're looking in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. 
Uh, This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote the letter to a guy named Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, Paul had started the church in Ephesus sometime before, but then whenever Timothy came in, it didn't take long for the people to begin to kind of, they were, they were not standing firm in the faith. They were drifting away from the things of God. Matter of fact, if you go back to the first chapter, you'll see that what was going on is that there were some false teachers who were coming into the church and they were saying, hey, listen, if you're really going to be a good Christian, you need more than Jesus. So you need, to, you need to follow Jesus, but then you need to follow a bunch of rules and regulations as, as well. And when people started doing that, they began to drift away from the things of God. They began to rely upon their own works, their own efforts. And it caused, it caused a lot of problems in the church. And people were fighting with each other. People were having disagreements. And so Paul had had enough of this. He said, church, he said, we live in an evil time. So we've got to stand firm in our faith if we're going to make a difference in the world in which we live. Matter of fact, back in verse number 11, Paul said the church is needed to return to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Now, Villas Church, we have a responsibility to stand firm in the faith. And so the big question is, at least it was for me, was how in the world do we do that? And so I just want us to look at these three verses, and we're going to see a few of the responsibilities that God has given us so that we can stand firm in a world that is very dark. So so what are the responsibilities that we have? Well, the very first one comes from our text, real simple to see, and I'm sure you've heard it a million times. If we're going to stand firm in the faith, here's a responsibility we're called to fulfill. The church needs to act right. You ever heard that before? You need to act right. I mean, I heard that so many times from, from various people in my life, and I thought I was acting right, because a lot of times I wasn't. Well, church family, if we are going to make a difference in the world we live in, we have to act right. Now look with me in verse number 14. Paul said, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people, here's the key, how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, why did, why did Paul write this letter? And, and he, Well, he answers the question for us in these two verses. He's writing this letter because the church needed to learn how to act right. Now, what does it mean to act right? Well, the word to act, it means to conduct oneself. It's the actions, the way that you live. You need to act right, have good actions. Now, now who needs to have good actions? Who needs to act right? Well, he talks about the people. Well, who are the people? He's not the people in God's household. And then he goes on to say, which is the church. So the church needs to act right. Now, what is the church? Now, if somebody came to me or comes to me and asks me, hey, where's Village Church? Here's my response. It's 574 Rhymer Pond Road in Blythewood. Now, technically, did you know that's not correct? Uh, But technically, it's not because I'm given the wrong address. It's because the church is not a building. You know what the church is? It's you. 
It's those of you who are followers of Jesus. So in, in our case for today, when Paul says the church needs to act right, in our context for today, he's speaking to you. He's saying your actions need to be right. Okay, so my actions need to be right. What does that mean? Well, whenever you become a follower of Jesus, it means you are to live differently than the rest of the world. You know, we, we shouldn't continue to act like everybody else whenever we surrender our lives to Christ. I mean, Paul wrote about this. In Ephesians 2, 19-22, Paul wrote, So then you, speaking of Christians, he says, You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, and you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, who do you think the body of Christ belongs to? It belongs to Jesus. It's his body. Therefore, you are to act in the way that Jesus calls for you to act. You live for him and no one else. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, it's really easy to think, well, I thought we were saved by grace. You know, I didn't think that there was anything that I could do in order to earn my salvation. I thought I just simply was saved because of God's works and His goodness being applied to me. That's correct. You cannot earn salvation with God. But let me tell you something. When you come into a relationship with God, He will change you. And you will live differently. When He touches your life, you can't remain the same. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, I want you to, to, to think about it like this. So let's say, let's say you're in the lobby, and if you're in the lobby, I don't know how many of you are coffee drinkers, but let's say you get a cup of coffee, and you have that cup of coffee, and you're walking down in the lobby, and if somebody bumps into you, what, what's going to come out of your cup? It, it's not going to be Coke, right? It's not going to be water. If you got coffee, what comes out of your cup? It is coffee. Right, Why? Because what has been filled, what has been put inside of your cup is coffee. And so what comes out is going to be coffee. Now, if Jesus comes into your life and life bumps into you, then here's a big question for you and for me. What comes out of you? When life rubs up against you, and maybe not in the right way, does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that come out of you? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. When I read these verses, man, I was, I was convicted. Because sometimes what, what comes out of me is, is not those things. What comes out of me is anger, bitterness, revenge, frustration. See, whenever Jesus fills your life and life bumps into you, then what comes out of you is what has filled you. See, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It says the old way of life, what, what, where does it go? It's gone. 
Behold, the new has come. So the church, if we're going to stand firm in the faith, then it begins with this. Our responsibility is the church is to act right. But then here's the other responsibility that we have. The church is also to be the pillar of truth. If we stand firm in God's word, then we must be a people that are the pillar of truth. And this comes uh, from verse number, let's see, verse number 15. Paul wrote, but if I should be delayed, I've written so that you will know how God's people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God. It says the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now these are architectural terms here. Paul speaks of the church. We are God's household. And he says in God's household, because that's a church, we are the pillar and the foundation of truth. Now when Paul wrote this, he's writing this to the church in Ephesus. And this would have been a a visual picture for them. And the reason why was because Ephesus was home to one of the, the ancient seven wonders of the world. It was home to the temple of Diana, or the temple of Artemis. And so here's they, they have a recreation of what that temple looks like. So that's what, that's what the temple of Diana looked like in Paul's day. Uh, it's twice the size of the Parthenon. It was huge. Now when you look at that, what's, what is to, to you, what is the main feature of that building? The pillars, right? There are 127 pillars. Those pillars were made out of marble. Many of them were encrusted with uh, gems and stones. But did you know that that was not, that was not, the, the purpose of those pillars was not to look good. The purpose of those pillars was not uh, to, to, to make everybody look at that and go, man, that is, those are some great pillars. The purpose of the pillars, you know what it was? To hold the roof up. It was to keep the roof from collapsing. So the, here's what Paul's saying. He says, church, you're those pillars. Now, 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 what is the purpose of the pillars? It is to be the foundation of truth, to hold up the truth. Now, the question is, well, then what is the truth? Well, Jesus told us what the truth is. Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word, God's word, is truth. So our job as a church is to uphold the truth, which is God's word. Okay, so then how, how do we do that? You know, how do, we, how do people like us uphold God's truth? Well, one thing you do is you point people to it. This is the truth. People have questions. This is the guide and director for my life. You guide people to the truth. One thing you don't do is you don't change it. You just point people to it. Truth's already been established. You know, we don't get to make up the truth. We, we don't get to say, well, this is my truth. You know, there's no such thing as your truth. There is God's truth. That is it. Okay, so we point people to this truth. We don't make it up. We, and, and I know that sometimes what we can do as Christians, and I think it's even with good motives, we want everybody to love Jesus. We don't want people to be turned off by the mess. We don't want people to not like the church. I, I, don't, I want people to like us. And so what's easy to do because of that is to say, hey, I know that this is what you believe, and that's okay. You know, I, I, you said that it doesn't matter who you believe in, what God you believe in, that they all end up in the same place in, anyway. Well, I, that's true, but, you know, but Jesus is the same way too. And so we, we, kind, of, we kind, of, you know, kind of hedge on that a little bit. We move away from it saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, if we, if we mess with the truth like that, let me tell you, you mess up the whole book. You know, the Ten Commandments. You know, two of the Ten Commandments are, are very clear about the fact there's only one God. 
Uh, if we do that, if we begin to hedge our bets on the truth, we, we are denying the words of Jesus. When Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So what is the, what is the job of the church? If we're going to stand firm in the faith, you know, we, have to, we have to look out for this, for this book where God has given us the truth. And I'm convinced more and more what the world needs to see is men and women of God who will speak the truth and who will believe that the truth of God's word will actually change people. That God's word will change hearts. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of times when I don't want to do that because I don't like people. I look at some stuff in here and I think, gosh, well, let's don't talk about this subject because that's just going to upset people. Not everybody agrees with this, and I'd rather just sort of skip over some of it. But that, that's not my job. That's not your job. You know, the job of a foundation is not to look good. I mean, how many times have you driven by a house and thought, that is a beautiful foundation on that house? Y'all ever thought that? Now, if it doesn't have a good foundation, have you ever thought, that house doesn't have a good foundation? I mean, look, they need to call Ramjack, right? I mean, it just doesn't look good. The foundation's purpose is not to look good. It is not to draw attention to itself. Its purpose is to uphold the truth. Phillips Church, we are here to hold up this book. We're the foundation with a pillar for it. Um, I read an article about the New York City, the, the Reserve, Federal Reserve Bank in New York City. And they, they hold the world's largest deposit of gold. And so let me just give you some stats on the the where they hold the gold. It's five stories below ground, 50 feet below sea level. It's locked behind a 90-ton steel door. Uh, in, in that reserve, there lies a maze of 122 vaults containing a stockpile of gold from all over the world. Now, this is interesting. The weight of the vault and the gold inside is greater than the limits of almost any other foundation in the world. A single compartment can house some 100,000 bricks of gold. Each brick weighs 30 pounds. I didn't know that. That's a lot of gold. You know, th that gold, you know how much it's worth in, in New York City, the Federal Reserve Bank? Over $415 billion. Y'all, we need to go there. So that, that is bigger than Fort Knox. It's enormous. Now, why do they house it there? They house it there because of the foundation. The foundation is on Manhattan's bedrock. If you put it anywhere else, all that gold would just simply go straight through the ground. Couldn't hold it. The Village Church, all of the churches, that's who we are. We are the foundation where the truth is to be upheld. Because if we don't do it, nobody else will. And it will go crashing to the ground and people will miss out on knowing the truth. That's our job. So if we're going to stand firm in the gospel, what's our calling? It's to act right, it's to be the pillar of truth, and here's the last thing. Our last responsibility to, responsibility to stand firm in the gospel is the church is to share the truth. Okay, we, don't just, we don't just protect it, we share it. Now, look with me in verse number 16. It says, and most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. This is the great truth. It says, he, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then taken up in glory. This is the truth. It's the message we have. 
Now, it's pretty common to hear people say that faith is a, you know, faith is a private matter, right? You know, when you're in, when you're in company, in, in polite company with people, there's a few things you don't talk about. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about Clemson, Carolina. Uh, you don't, and you don't talk about religion, right? So those, that's what we've been taught. So we've been told all the time. You're not supposed to share any of that stuff. And, and then there are some people who have taken that even to their children. I'll see people, and they'll talk about matters of, the, of faith, and they'll say, well, when it comes to matters of faith with my children, I'm going to let my children decide. They're going to make up their own mind. I think, well, and that's true in one sense. Every person makes a decision, a, a personal decision, about following Jesus. But parents, we have a responsibility to guide our children, at least in the right direction, right? And we do that, we do that every, with everything else. I mean, you do that with food. I've never heard a parent say to their four-year-old child, I'm going to let my four-year-old child decide what his diet's going to be. Does that sound smart? I mean, that, would all, that would be a disaster. I mean, they would grow up living, you know, like on Cap'n Crunch, and they, they would not be healthy. Now, now listen, you, you teach your children, you teach them by giving them the right kinds of food, and now when they get older, they get to decide how, what they're going to eat. You know, my, my mother today does not come to my house and say, you need to change your diet. She doesn't do that anymore. I mean, she taught me when I was young, go out to eat. And uh, so that's, you know, that's how, uh, you know, that's how we, that's how we survive. But it's, it's, it's my choice about how I'm going to live. Now, my parents, so they, they wanted to guide me in the right direction. You're, you're to do that when ma- with matters of faith. You're to teach your children the things of God, and then you hope and pray as they get older that there will be a day when they will make their own decision to become a follower of Jesus. Now, that, that happens because you share. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You share your faith. Um, we're told in Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, Paul said, This grace was given to me, this message, the least of all saints. Why was it given to him? He said, To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And this is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known this is through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. We're to share. Now what are we supposed to share? We are to share this, that Jesus is God. He is the Redeemer. He came here in flesh. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh, took His residence up among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our job is to teach people Jesus is the Christ. He is not the prophet. Okay, that's what some, you know, the Muslims and the Jews, they will teach Jesus. Was, he was, at best, He was a prophet. No, He's not a prophet. He is God. He is God in flesh. That is the message that we are to share. Now, that goes against, if we're supposed, I thought we we're not supposed to talk about religion. If you look in the Bible, you don't see that. You're to share. Jesus pointed this out, Matthew 28. We talked about this last week, 19 and 20. said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so here's this question. Why? Why do we, why do we want to share this truth? You know, why is it important for us to share this message? Okay, now very briefly, we're almost done. I want to take you all the way back. I want to take you back to the Christmas story. And just, just before the Christmas story. 
You might remember Mary had a conversation with Joseph. Remember, Mary was engaged to Joseph, and she came to Joseph and she said, Joseph, I'm going to have a child. Okay, now that's, we call that, you know, putting the cart before the horse, right? They're just, they're not married yet. Okay, now you might say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Today in America, 40% of all births happen outside of wedlock. Okay, but then here's the other, the other, you know, sort of wrench in the whole mix. And by the way, Joseph, you're not the dad. Okay, that's a relationship killer, you know, for most people right there. Okay, so there had to be somebody to come to talk to Joseph to help him out in this whole situation. And it was an angel. Matthew 1, 20 and 21 says, An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. And she'll give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So what... Why are we to protect the truth and to share the truth so that people will know this truth? That Jesus came to save people from their sins. So how do we share that message? Well, if you look in verse 16, it is the gospel. Look in verse number 16. God became man. He died for our sins. He conquered death. And he ascended into heaven. And those who follow him will have eternal life. And this is a message that is to be shared and preached all over the world. That is our calling. That is our mission. But where we get into trouble is if we move away from this truth because we say, I want us to be attractive to the world. Village Church, we have not been called, no, we've not been called to be jerks. But we have not been called to be attractive to the world. We have been called to be faithful to the truth. And when you are faithful to the truth, you will be a person who will live in love. And you will care for people. And you will see people through the power of Jesus being rescued from their sins. Just like many of you have been. We have a responsibility. It is to stand firm in the faith because it is a bedrock that will never crumble. Isn't that good news? But that's our job. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you have given such a a heavy responsibility to us. It is To me, it really is. It is mind-blowing that you would entrust a message like this to people. Because, God, God, I know me. And, Lord, I know that, that I'm just like anybody else. My heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. But, Jesus, it is your grace and it is your mercy that changes me, that has changed my position in life. I am a child of God. This church belongs to you. These people are yours, Lord. Those who have entrusted their lives to you, they are yours. And God, I pray that we will live with confidence and boldness, knowing that you have empowered us to uphold the truth. 
Lord, I pray that we will do that as a church. I pray these things in Christ's name.